Hey there, everyone. From beautiful Fort Collins, Colorado, halfway between Cheyenne and Denver, and 5,003 feet above sea level, I'm Jeff Haber, and you're listening to No Bed of Roses. No Bed of Roses is brought to you by Conexus. Maybe your company is creating video content or you're a brand looking for that coveted direct connection with viewers. Maybe you're an established YouTube creator or you're just starting out. Conexus Interactive Web Video Solutions enables viewers while watching your videos to simply tap on the items they're interested in, directly connecting them to the merchant's shopping cart to easily purchase those items. This all happens without ever leaving the video experience and without ever leaving the site where they started watching the video in the first place. Connexus shoppable video content works using any browser on any device. No download, no plugin, nothing to install. Interactive video like you've always wanted it. Find out more at connexus.com. That's K-E-N-X-U-S dot com. All right, back with No Bed of Roses and a wonderful old friend, our guest for this episode, Sharon Bellio. Sharon is the executive producer of the Tim Conway Jr. Show, on KFI AM 640 in Los Angeles. Check it out. Fantastic. If you haven't heard it already, Sharon and I go way back and we share lots of wacky stories. Hopefully you'll enjoy hanging out with us. So here is Sharon. So we know each other, Sharon. Yes. A very long, a very, a very long it, time. To me, it seems like a very long time because we met in 96. Yes. Right. As tour yes. guides at, yes, Warner Brothers, at Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers Studios. And still to this day, two of the best years of my life, I will say. I oh think. my gosh. Absolutely. That was so really? much fun. Because yeah, oh, yeah. as I was saying those words, I was thinking, wow, that's a goof. Uh, that's a goofy thing no, to say. No, that but. was. And I think it's one of those things that you don't, you know, you don't realize till later how wonderful it was, especially the timing of it, because that tour changed so much over the years that it wasn't that the ability for us to just walk that lot and to go, you know, dumpster diving and go in, into the the studios and crawl in the rafters and things. You probably couldn't get away with that now. Probably couldn't. I mean, I think it was nuts. That window, yeah. they literally gave us the keys to the lot. I mean, literally on a chain. Here, are the, remember, here are the keys to the to the stages. I remember calling my mom, and because I had just started there, and I had it was I think we had to do a weekend tour or something. But I had the keys to the Murphy Brown yeah. studio, <laughs> and I was unlocking it, and taking people in there, and I'm like thinking to myself, "How did little Sharon Bellio from Golden, Colorado? How do I have the keys to the Murphy Brown set? It was weird. It was but cool. It was better than cool. That's a whole nother story. Just uh, I don't know yes. how I actually because we met there. Do you remember Yule Hauser's California Gold show? Do you, you know I was on it. <laughs> of course you are. See, 
<laughs> I don't know, but I watched that religiously. Did I not? Did I miss your episode? What were you on it for? Uh, because Dick, that's the episode. Wait, you're on that episode? Oh yeah, you, yes, you, yeah. So well, I'm, I don't know if I'm the one where Dick, where he does his thing, uh, but I took Huel around. I know we went to the Family Matters set. And we do this little thing where I, you know, drive off. I, I actually, I'll. I now I'm going to, do you it. have it? Cause I was going to, I was going to dig for yeah. it. So he, uh, so I'm, I'm, I was a big fan of California gold. I thought he was, I thought he was awesome. Cheesy, perfect. Just awesome. Great. Amazing. I love that. Love that. And we actually became friendly later on when, uh, when I That's became a tour guy. Cool. Yeah. But, but, but I saw that and I was laying in bed with Kristen and we're watching. They go, Oh man. I want to work there. I would love to work for that guy. And she just thought, are you kidding? You're going to be a tour guide. <laughs> Good God. Is I, that really how you, I, I swear, to- I swear. And I, what I can't remember and I have to ask Kristen, I don't think I was yet in the training program at universal. I had this goofy thing that because Steven Spielberg's story, you know, that he he was on the lot and he had a secret office that nobody knew and he's yeah. you know, he snuck on and John Frankenheimer, the director, had started as a tour guide. There was still that mythology about people who started as tour guides at Universal. And so I thought, okay, I'm gonna do it. And Chris said, Listen, I'll support you if you're <laughs> I'll support you while you do this. Don Quixote, I'll, I'll, I'll support you, but <laughs> you better get some meetings when you get on that yeah. lot, right? And I'm and saying, you did, you did. No, 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 no. That's this you is did a, for Dan. Uh, what's his face? You wrote no uh, with you. I thought that happened at Warner's, but so no at Universal. I went through the whole training pro- and you never did that. Did you do that, Sharon? No. Uh-uh. Okay, brutal, right? It's eight, six hour, eight hour days with a textbook the size of the freaking uh, you know Webster's Dictionary and y- all the memorization that you have to do. Totally one eighty opposite of what the experience yes. at Warner's was, right? What you guys, yes. this was like the the empire. I'm not even a Star Wars fan. It was like the empire and you guys were the rebel forces across the way. It was <laughs> right. just literally shooting from the hip. And this was horrendous. I, I But I passed, I got in and there were people crying two weeks of just intense, intense training. And there were, I remember there was a, a lawyer a lawyer and a, a woman who was a flight attendant and just and then a, a to be somebody, tour guides tour guides and they were having meltdowns they didn't make the cut that's crazy it was crazy it was crazy but so even there I screwed up and got in trouble and I got called in for a union <laughs> meeting because you know there was a script you had to stay on a script there right and you didn't no of course I didn't and so we got into <laughs> we got into what is that five points four points Texas uh, the on the back lot you know you ha- you had to do the beginning of the, uh, welcome to uh, welcome to universe. Universal Studios brought to you by Texaco because Texaco was it was still the Texaco building. Yeah, and you, you had to yeah. mention Texaco contractually three times in your opening spiel. Oh, I mean, uh, it was crazy the stuff uh, that I you, didn't know all this. Oh yeah, and you and I, all the you had you had to memorize these stalls and I was on the only tram that got lost. My Teamster driver actually got lost. <laughs> True story. Of course, that would happen to on you. the back lot. We're, so McHale's <laughs> Navy. We're going, and do you remember the lagoon and the whole McHale's yes. Navy? Yeah. Yes. So he makes his turn and they go, and he stops. I go, what are you doing? He goes, I said, are you lost? He goes, man, I think I was supposed to make that last ride. I go, I was wondering what you were doing. So we're, we're lost. We're lost. How do you get, how do you get out of that? Well, he gets on the radio. What are you going to do? Are you going to turn a tram around? Exactly. So he gets on the radio and I have to, I have to start for like 20 minutes, do this spiel. 
as they bring, you know, another tram over and they walk everybody. It was only me, only me with the tape. How do you, how do you get lost on the back lot? And I mean, you can, Yeah, there's but, not that many. Options well, there's a, a, the tram just drives. It's what it does. You just, but he was a new guy, just like I was a new guy. So yeah, but you're good at ad libbing and this was and okay. Space. I'm so good. Right. So we go into Texas, we go into the four points, Texas, and I am on the mic and I go, uh, welcome to Four Points, Texas, everybody, and uh, home of the West, or all these Westerns that we did, and whatever those were, and then I say, uh, so anybody here from Texas? No, well, today we're all honorary Texans, so let me get, let me hear a real yeehaw from everybody, and start hearing yeehaw, and they go, no, no, I'm talking about a Texas-sized yeehaw, come on, let me hear, and everybody goes, yeehaw, like, like that, and they go, come on, people, we're in Hollywood, this is your moment, I need a Texas-sized yeehaw, now everybody, and all three chairs, yeah! screaming this whole thing so apparently it started to catch on and other you know because you could hear this and the other trams would hear this and so i get called into a union meeting with the business agent it's union it's teamsters yeah and the representatives from the studio mr haber what can you tell us about this (laughs) yeehaw Well, it's just yee-haw, it's, 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 Yeah, it's two syllables, ye and ha. Maybe hyphenated, may not be. Not Put sure. Put a little energy behind it. It's, it's got a little, good. got a wang to it. I was administered an official cease, immediate cease and desist and got my first write-up. from the Over end. a yee-haw. Over a yee-haw. Well, is that because people strict. were filming and and no, that's because creating... you can't go off the book because it's anarchy. Oh come yeah, on! Yeah, no, you that's can't do it. You, silly. You, you can't wing it. There's no improv. It's not like you and Tim. It's not like what we had at Warner's. So I called Dick Carson. Answers the phone. Dick gets on. You know, I tell her, "Hey, listen, <laughs> I, I, I'm working across. <laughs> you got to help me. I'm working across the street." I can only take my tie off when it's 95 degrees at the Burbank airport. I'm dying here in polyester. I was in, I was two, like two, three weeks in maybe. And I thought this is literally hell on earth. I was wearing my Payless shoes that were too big. They were falling off my feet as I was walking to the train. I hated it. (laughs) I hated it. And so I called Dick and he's laughing and I'm telling him like this. I go, Dick, please. I saw you on the Yulehauser thing. I am at Universal. I'm a tour guide. I'm I am going to kill myself, and I may take out the entire tram with me. I don't know. This is it's terrible. I can of see you. why you talking to him like that won him over. He right was, away. Like, and you know, Dick. He's just laughing and oh, laughing. Yeah. And then he got, he goes, "Okay, good. Come on over. And we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> like old Hollywood guy, right? Okay, good. Come on over. and We'll talk about. It. We'll, we'll talk. And, and you must have like after that experience, and then coming over to us, you must have been like, "What the holy mama." When I walked in and saw you guys, I just, I wasn't sure that it was really what Dick was saying, but sitting with him in his Warner Brothers branded nylon windbreaker at his, (laughs) at his desk where, uh, and I could just, as I'm telling you, I can picture him just, uh, how awesome this guy was. And he was, he really was a sweet man. Where he goes, ah, yeah, there's none of that, kid. You just, you go out two, two and a half hours, just get lost, just make, you know, just, just, it really, just share the really, magic of the studio. We really were so lucky to be part of it at that time. We really were. 
It was you crazy. Know, Chuck Jones, uh, just our, oh, yeah. our our daily, our lives there was everything I had grown up with. And a huge Warner Brothers, just a huge Warner Brothers fan. They successfully branded me. And then there we were. Yeah. It was just our playground every day. Every day. And you know what was also just additionally cool for me is I would do the tours in the daytime. And then I waited tables at Cafe Francais in Toluca Lake. And so people would ask me, you know, I get done with the tour and they're like, is there any place we could go get something to eat? And I'm like, hey, uh, oh, you double down. A, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, in a half an hour, I'll be waiting on you. So they would tip me at the tour. Then they'd send me I'd send them over to the restaurant and then I'd be waiting on them later. And they tip me again. And my George, who owned Cafe Francais loved me because I was sending all those people over to him. And then occasionally um, I'd have a tour where we, you know, saw some movie stars, some TV stars. And then this one group that was so great, I send them over there. And one of the waitresses that I worked with was Kimberly Johnson, whose father was Russell Johnson, who played the professor on Gilligan's Island. Oh. And he happened to be having dinner in the restaurant oh, one night. Awesome. And I send them over <laughs> and I'm like, would you like to meet the professor from Gilligan's Island? And they're like, what? I think I made like a hundred bucks off of that group. I remember those days so, just so fondly. And Laura Shinneman, remember Laura? Yeah. I remember she broke out and went into the pool and was working in different departments around the studio. And she went to work over in animation. And I, I don't know if you ever went, but she said, hey, you, you got to come over and meet these guys. They're just so cool. They're working on this project and it's hand-drawn it's old school animation i knew you'd love it and i go uh, yeah I, okay yeah and i never did it and she she asked me a couple times and she said she one time she said they're drawing a character after me they're using me as the mom I'm like wow that's crazy and she said they're just the nicest guy brad is so cool you need to come over it was brad bird doing iron giant no and way. Way, which is one of my favorite films. And you never went over? Never went. And I don't and, and when I watch it with the, I don't know if you're a fan of Iron Giant, but it's one of it's yeah. it's just I think an just an awesome awesome movie, animated or live action. It's just right up there. And Brad Bird is brilliant. Um, what I don't understand is you knew anything that was going on there was probably going to be some big project. Why? I know, know it's I mean? weird. It's weird. It's weird. And you know, you introduced me to Dan Blatt and we went to see Dan and hung out with him and yeah. uh, God, I hang out with Clint Eastwood and those, I mean, who didn't we hang out with? We hung out with everybody, Dean Kane and, and why I didn't go over there. I don't know. Pogarth's mom, who's a waitress in uh, Iron Giant is a redheaded green eyed beauty. It's yeah, Laura. like Lara. It's yeah. Lara, yeah. Yeah. No, that's so cool. Yeah. You know, do you remember when um, Michael Jordan was doing Space Jam do and I, they had built do, the tent? Yes, we did that party. We did the. Did you work the VIP party that I night? I did not. Oh, I did not. Yeah, we didn't. No. Yeah. I should have, but I didn't. I think I had like a, I had the little golf cart and just had a couple of people uh, that I was taking around. Maybe there were VIPs, bees or whatever. I saw him on a golf cart. So I started following him <laughs> just because I was trying oh, to you show saw, off. Oh, the, oh, Michael was on a, yeah, he was driving the golf cart around the studios and going to his trailer. And so I started kind of chasing him. Did you get <laughs> him? I, I did. Cause he, you know, at one point just kind of looked back and smiled. Cause at that point, you know, you're, you're in a golf cart and you're on the studio. You, he assumes you're probably somebody important. And I remember and you were, smile. you were, I was, that was Dr. Sky calling. Dr. Sky. 
He's Dr. Skype. Does he want to be on our show? He probably would. Really? He's on, um, Dr. I can't think of the, the radio station, but he has his own, maybe it's a podcast. I don't think it's on terrestrial radio. Um, I'm having him on tonight because of the Christmas star where Jupiter and Saturn are the conjunction. aligning. We saw it last night. We saw oh, it you did? Yeah, it's really cool. I didn't cool. think it would be able to. Yeah, you can see it. Dr. Sky. Yeah. Is he Dr. an astronomer? Sky. He. I don't think he is an astronomer, but he knows everything. Is do you know who George Norrie is? What is it? No, he's a. am going to look up. Do you know George Norrie? George Norrie. He does the. Uh, on KFI, he does all the alien, and he's on oh. 10 p.m. to like 5 in the morning. Very popular. Like the area. Uh, area Dr. Dr. Sky has been engaged in the science of astronomy for well over 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. He's a doctor like you're an executive producer. He gave himself that title. Is that it? Possibly. Maybe. Possibly. I'm sending you something about him. And I'm sure he's a great doctor as you're a great executive producer. I think so. I'm booking Dr. Sky. Yeah. (laughs) Come on now. Yeah. You've done it. It's It's a coup. It's a coup. You know, you were talking about Michael Michael Jordan, and I want to say, Sharon, that of all the stars, celebrities, and there were there were so many. I mean, Mel Gibson was on a lot at the time, and Kevin Arnold Schwarzenegger, Co- Arnold, Kevin Costner. There was a time that ninety six to ninety six to ninety eight window. Well, I mean, I'm sure the studio is always like that, but there was, I, I guess, just because we were there, there was just we had the anniversary, right, when the uh, the James Dean thing was going down. Remember that uh-huh. big that big bash? Yeah. And Carol Baker and Carl Malden. I mean, all these old school classic actors that I drove around and and hung out with. And then when we did the Fire and Ice Ball for Bette Midler and uh, Jim Carrey and I and his his publicist. Yeah, it I got, remember. It was, you remember? It was it, it was just everybody was there. I mean, we could just go down hey, a huge list. I uh, George Clooney said hi to me and asked me how I was doing one day because I don't know if you remember, I was an extra on Friends. During one of the breaks, I was out in between the, the buildings and George was going back to, I forget what, Soundstage 2 or something. And it was just George and myself in between. And he was like, how you doing today or whatever? It was so that was my George Clooney. Oh yeah, he was. I mean, George, because I was friends with Dean Kane and they played. We all. I I never played basketball. All the that's another they thing. Always were, yeah. And they always invited me. Hey Jeff, come and shoot hoops. Uh, Let's be yeah. nice. I don't know what's wrong with me. You never went. I didn't go. No, no, no. I didn't play. I, I hung odd. out. I met them before and after. And I mean, George was this guy. Every everybody on that lot loved this guy. Everyone. Yeah, he was. He was. Super sweet. Every Teamster, every yeah. I mean, everyone who works. He's just them. a guy's guy. Just a, he, he was an, a people. He was just a people's guy. It yeah. was just a people guy. Everybody loved that guy. When Michael showed up, I thought people were going to get trampled to death. When I, I remember Jada Pinkett and Will Smith showed up, and then there was a rumor that Michael was in the next Escalade or whatever and was coming up, and I thought people were going to get killed. It, yeah. it was, and this is Hollywood people, right? Because who came to this party it was all the executives and their kids and their and their husbands, spouses and wives, whatever. He he rolled up, and there was complete and utter pandemonium. And well, it, he was that big a star. Did you um, see his um, the ESPN documentary? That I, I haven't seen it yet. Is it worth watching? Oh my gosh, yes! Yeah, it's okay. so amazing. But one sentence kind of defines him at all. He is the alpha of all alphas. 
Did he say that about himself or somebody no, made that observation? No, somebody said that about, but it is true when you, especially, I mean, he was a lot meaner than I ever knew. And I, you know, I started in sports radio. That's really what, where I began and then went into the Lakers. And I had, you know, I had seen Jordan when he um, played for Washington Wizards. I didn't get to see him when he played Chicago. I don't think I did. Maybe I did. But he really was. I mean, the alpha of all alphas. Like everybody was in movie stars, you know, politicians, everybody just in awe of Michael Jordan. The command he has over people. I, what, what you just said, I, I saw it firsthand because these yeah. are people who used to be in around big celebrities, big stars, but this was a whole nother thing when he showed up. So, oh, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I always admire that. Yeah. It's Michael Jordan. He's amazing. But for people, this was, this was like the Dalai Lama showing up. Or, he really was. I mean, honestly, I don't think I've ever seen anybody that has that draw and that where every, I don't care who you are when Michael Jordan was in the room. And I remember, you know, when he played with the wizards and this is kind of on the decline of his basketball career when he went to the wizards and uh, just being at Staples center, you know, covering the Lakers and you know, he was coming in. So people gathered in the tunnel just to see him walk into the building. And he had this entourage around him. And just everybody, all the beat writers, you know, everybody was there just to just to take notes of Michael Jordan walking into the building. It's just phenomenal to see that that the presence he had. And there's very few people, you know, at Staples Center. You know, we saw all those like TV stars and movie stars. I even had Newt Gingrich on a uh, a tour at Warner Brothers. But at Staples Center, it was the the same kind of thing. All the movie stars and celebrities that would come to see the Lakers. Um, and this was at the time when, you know, Kobe, Shaq, Phil Jackson, they, they were winning their, I came in on their, um, the golden era. They, truly. They had just won in 2000 and I, the next season I was producing them. And the, the other people that I've had that kind of Jordan-esque was Muhammad Ali. I was going to say is it, maybe Ali would be the other guy who would have that kind of impact. So when you, when you can see a an arena when somebody walks in and the entire arena is just like, you know, yeah. Because there's celebrities all over the place. Right. You know, Jack Nicholson, right. Jack Nicholas sitting there and and um I think Pamela Anderson came in once oh, and people funny. went kind of nuts over her. <laughs> that's funny. I mean, that's right? interesting that you go that I would not have that same list. You go, "Okay, we got Michael Jordan." Yeah, got it. Uh Muhammad <laughs> Ali. Got it. And you know who's next? Pamela, Pamela it's Anderson. It's true when you think of like at her the height of of her being this this bombshell and Baywatch and you know she. It's just interesting what who drew that kind of attention. I think that is interesting. I think that yeah. is really interesting. And she did have she was everywhere. I worked with her a little bit, but uh, that is interesting. That's just not. That's kind of an incongruous list. But I get it. I understand it. Totally. But then, you know, when you look at the, you know, overall, who was at Laker games from politicians to, you know, just any celebrity you can think of, see why she, you know, when she walks in a room, everybody's like, it's, you know, a lot of times the first time you're seeing a lot of these celebrities in person, you know, you want to see like, ooh. Are they that tall? Is she she that beautiful? Is she that that hot? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I totally get it. How come I never went to a Lakers game with you? How did that happen? 
Come Same on. reason you never watched it went to see. Is that on me? <laughs> or did you never invite me? How did I never go? How did I never go and do that? Okay, so look, we went all over the freaking place. <laughs> and, 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 and this is, in a way, analogous to your nonlinear, the nonlinear path. Yes. So you grow up in Golden, Colorado, Sharon, and you have, uh, you have aspirations to work as an actress. Is that? Uh-huh. Is it, yeah, that was that's what started it all. Mm-hmm. Yes. But there was nothing going on here, you know, back in the day. Right. There weren't really, you know, like all the things that are available to you now. It just wasn't so. You had some theater that you could get involved in. There weren't very many acting classes. Um, I think there was only one talent agency, JF Images, that was kind of known. And I remember I was like 10 or 11 and my mom was friends with this woman that would dress up as an orange bunny to go to all the Denver Bronco games. Mm -hmm. And she got a commercial. And I remember my mom telling me she got a commercial. And I'm like, how did she do that? And she's like, well, she's with this agency, JF Images. So I called up JF Images and I was like, I remember trying to act. At 12 years old. I think I was 10 at the time. And I was trying to act all mature. Yes, I'm interested in having an agent. And I remember like misusing a word and the woman correcting me, you know, and I'm like, yes, oh, yes, that's what I meant. And she's like, can I talk to your mom? And my mom was gardening. (laughs) My mom was gardening. And um, I went out and I said, JF Images is on the phone. And she's like, what? And she went in there. So they took... um, my sister, my mom, and I went down there, and I was so upset because my sister was, you know, 14, 15 years old and tall and pretty. And so they were more interested in her for modeling. Mm-hmm. And I like cried all the oh. way Is it just the two of you, Sharon? Is it you and your I have sister? Two brothers and two older brothers. And two older brothers? Yeah. Okay. And they didn't have, they didn't want to get into acting or modeling? No, or? nobody was into it. Mm-hmm. I got into it just because I was watching like Police Woman and Charlie's Angels. And weep, I thought like, weep, 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 weep. <laughs> I just I'm thought that was so woman. cool. I think Farrah Fawcett had a lot to do with it. I just thought she was like the coolest. And Wasn't um, Angie Dickinson police? Oh, I loved Angie Dickinson. Angie Dickinson, Dickinson. yeah. Right? Isn't, police yeah. Woman. Yeah. And so the only thing they'd offer classes, but it cost money. And then my mother won on Safeway bingo. She won a hundred dollars. So she put that money towards me taking classes. And that's what started all that. Your mom won on Safeway bingo. (laughs) Yeah. And this is, this is, and, and really for the rest of our careers, it's really Safeway bingo. (laughs) That's what we're we're playing every freaking day. Safeway bingo. It never gets much further than that. It's awesome. (laughs) And you know, I always thought, well, you got to move to Hollywood. But then my dad would say, you need to get something going here before you even try that. You know, and then you'd hear people say, well, do you want to be a big fish in a little pond or a little fish in a big pond? And of course, the tourists, I want to be the big fish. When I got older, I um, would take classes and just anything that there was an audition to, I would go to. I ended up getting signed with JF Images and I went SAG-AFTRA. But I also... How'd you get into the union? I did an industrial film, and I think it was on like sexual harassment, which was way ahead of its time. Yeah. And I went union on that. Yeah. And that was, was out of Denver? You did yeah. it in Denver. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And at the time when I could, when there was nothing going on, I thought, well, what's the next best thing to acting and entertainment? It's radio. And so I was in college at the time and just didn't feel like I was getting what I wanted. So I went to Bailey Broadcasting School, which was this like 
you know, nine month course, but it actually was a good thing because one of my teachers was the production manager over at K-Big 1090, which is an all sports station. Wait, wait, wait. You, but are we in LA now for Bailey? No, no, no. no. I'm still in Denver. Okay. I'm this is in Denver. Denver. Okay. Bailey. And did, did they advertise, you can be a radio DJ? Did yes. They, was, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was, it was that place. Yeah. But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And and one of my teachers was working at a real station and it was one of the very first all sports radio stations in the country. I think it was like there was 12 at the time. And he got me in for an interview. You know, at the time, women in radio were working more um, in sales or promotions or traffic and continuity, not on the, you know, they were the production not on, Okay. And were they, were they on air? Were they on air talent? Not, or? No, not really. I don't remember. I don't remember at that time, mm-hmm. any women on the air. And definitely not in sports, right? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was, you know, at the time, Lisa Olson was a, a reporter, and I don't know if you remember this story, and she was covering the New England Patriots in the locker room, and she sued them for sexual harassment because of the way the players, that was going on, that coincides with when I was getting into sports radio. I think I, I think I do remember that, okay? Yeah, I was hired, you know, I was like 20 years old, and it was all these men, and I... Um, so did you drop? Time. Did you drop out of school? Did you uh, college? Were you? Did you finish college? Or I did not finish college. Okay, so I you didn't regret. Fi- right. So you didn't I finish. Regret. Oh, really? You do? I do. Yeah. I do. I wish I had finished. So, I would have done some things differently. That's another podcast. Okay, another podcast. Uh, look, I got. Um, a, I already got a commitment, so that's good. <laughs> Pushed a button, and we got a commitment. So you get hired, and you get hired as what? A board operator. Ooh. Which means you're running, you're basically engineering all the live shows. And at that time, it was difficult because it wasn't, you know, you didn't have like how they have Adobe Audition now for commercials and everything is computerized. Back then, it was reel-to-reels. It was sure mixers. It was, you know, if if you got one live show going on and then the other one's setting up and you've got to set them up and you've got to turn this to get this. And you did you have car- did you have carts, the cart machine? Was oh, that, yeah. Right? Cart, and that would just jam. Had, and I was in charge of the other station that was automated. And, and if it went off track, the siren would go off and you'd have to leave. <laughs> You'd have to leave your live show to go in the next room. to, And I always was messing it up. But that was something that I think there was one woman um, that was doing that. And then with like within a week, because the guy that hired me, I don't know if he thought I was cute or what. Oh, but within, why? Within, why in the wide <laughs> world of sports would he think you were cute? <laughs> well, within a week, I was overnights. And within a week, I had the main um, shift, uh, 10 to 2. Um, running Buddy Martin, who was, um, he worked with the golf, uh, and I feel horrible not remembering what he did. I think he was a writer. Uh, a lot of these guys were writers. Woody Page, you know. The oh, is this, is the, this where you met Woody? Yeah, the Denver Post, okay, yeah, um, columnist. Yeah. Um, Dave Logan, Irv Brown, Joe Williams, Theory Smith. It's like, I was like, now I'm running all these shows. And the first time I went on the air, they had me doing rip and read sports where you, you know, it's printing off of this and you've got to go over and tear it and like do a cold read. Wow. And I remember the first time I screwed up, it was, I was giving a score of the Baltimore Orioles and I, I'm like, and, and I was nervous and I'm like in the Baltimore Oreos, oh, or, <laughs> Ori, Ori, Baltimore. And I, 
And finally, wow. I, I just go, forget it. And I went on and I get a call from Irv Brown, who's the beloved who passed away. But he was like, that was the best thing you could have done. <laughs> no one, everyone will know you and remember you. Yeah. And then, you know, it's so funny because obviously my name was being said, you know, I was saying this Sharon Belly. I used to be Belio. Really? <laughs> People would, well, my father says Belio, but half of the Belios would say Belio and oh, Belio. Yeah. And I was a Belio, but then nobody ever got it right. They what is Belio. it? Is it is it Italian? What is it? What it's is Italian. It? And if you go to Italy, it's like Belio, right. but the Americanized version Belio. Yeah. So oh. I just, you know, so then like pretty soon, like my uncles and friends were stopping by the house because they heard me on the radio. Oh. It was pretty cool. So, cool so you, 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 the, a successful board operator who stammered <laughs> through the Orioles. So you're forever indebted to the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah. Then you, you get the 10 to two slot. So yep. you're in the money and, and you're dealing with the, really the cream of the crop of, of sports oh, riders, top, right? Top, I mean, these oh, top, abs- top guys. And, and let me tell you at that time, we're talking about, you know, a time before it, it turned into this billion dollar industry, multi-billion dollar industry. I could get John Elway in his hotel room. You know, you'd call to get these guests and they'd answer, you'd know that they were in, you know, Phoenix or whatever. And you knew they were staying because we'd get the blue book of where the teams traveled to. Right. And you'd call the hotel and you'd ask for John Elway and John Elway would answer his phone and you'd like, hey, can I get you on with, you know, and he'd say yes or no or whatever. You cannot do that now because A, they have fake names or they've got, you know, their entourage. You just, you can't get near them anymore. But was but Elway, back in the day, was Elway already a big star, Sharon? Oh yeah. Oh, he, oh so yeah. so it changed that much. I mean, in that time that where Elway Elway was already had he won a Super Bowl? Had he what did No, he, but no? he was just I mean, the, the the thing about you know about Denver. I mean, it's not like in Los Angeles where you've got all these different celebrities and movie stars and everything. Elway was Yeah, he was the, the man. He was the guy. Yeah. And to, and to some degree still is, you know. Favorite son. He was yeah. yeah, he was like the superstar. You know, and I remember he came in with Woody cuz Woody was doing um Elway had a TV show, like a talk show and Woody was the host. And I remember, you know, Woody bringing him into the studio. I had the chance to meet some big time athletes just coming through there. So that was really cool. But the accessibility it, was, was very different. It seems it, you make it sound almost hometown kind of deal. It right? was. Trust me, uh, you know, just covering the Lakers, you know, for the pregame show, try to get these guys out you know and now you're talking like 20 years later and these guys are multi-millionaires and you know now there's ipod you know the they got ear buds earbuds in. in and yeah oh yeah they come they walk in and you're trying to talk to them and they don't want to be bothered with you especially you know once it blew up and you had you know all these tv stations covering sports ESPN and Fox Sports Radio and Prime Ticket and then you've got all the online stuff. Yeah, and then there are all these and bloggers and yeah. Oh, now yeah. you know TV. TV drives the bus. Nobody, you know, nobody's interested in radio anymore. So they don't want to be bothered, you know, or they don't want to give interviews or yeah, whatever. Yeah. It was crazy going from the sports world. That's kind of when I left the sports world to go over to KFI and do news. It's like I couldn't get a player to come on the air at this point because they just like don't want to be bothered with it. But I could call and get the governor on. <laughs> so, it, and was that, did that coincide with just the last days of Chick Hearn? 
was that related or when you're saying you're trying to get interviews, were you trying to get on air stuff with chick? Um, it was easier, obviously. Um, and we're talking like 2000, 2001. Um, I worked with chick his last two, two years. I think he passed away in 2002. It was easier then, you know, and also when you're, you're with the broadcast, that's easier. But as the years went on, it got more and more difficult just because it's sports was blowing up. More and more people were covering it. More right. and more people had radio shows and, you know, and then another thing that happened is you had all these athletes get into broadcasting, go into radio, doing their own radio shows. So if people were going to do interviews, they were going to do it with, you know, a, a fellow their, athlete or one of their oh, buddies. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It became really difficult. I mean, I had more luck because I was in the arena with them and could go up and I didn't have a problem getting Lakers on because hometown they, yeah. And we were also the flagship station. They knew, they knew that. And, you know, there was times I remember like during NBA championships and everybody's just gathered around like Rick Fox, you know, trying to get him, and he'd see me and he goes, I'm going to take care of my, my people first. Mm. And he, you know, so that, but it it was becoming more and more difficult. And honestly, that's why I, you know, kind of left it was it, I don't want to be chasing around these 20 year old athletes begging for five minute interviews. You know, they were just becoming, they were multimillionaires. They didn't need to be bothered with it unless they yeah. were told to do it. Multimillionaires sounds like on the low end. I mean, these guys, <laughs> these guys now the money is just mind blowing. It is ridiculous. Yeah. And also, you know, one of the assistant coaches with the Lakers at the time, Jimmy Clemens, he was telling me because of all the technology and phones and everything that they saw as a coaching staff that it was becoming more and more difficult for these guys to retain information. He goes, I got a guy that I'll tell him something, you know, on the sideline and I'll send him in there. And by the time he gets out there, he forgot forgot what I said. That's amazing. Yeah, you could see... You know, and they got to a point where they were telling them, you can't have your, you know, David Stern, the commissioner at the time, didn't want them having their headsets on because it was distracting. You couldn't talk to them anymore. They were just lost in their own little world and it became more and more frustrating. And I couldn't even imagine it now trying to get into that world. And somehow, somehow they still send plays in and... The business continues, but you're talking about a whole generation of athletes now and kids that just grow up completely wired and plugged in with yeah. short attention span. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's a whole nother deal, man. It wow. is. So, okay. So that became, that became oversaturated definition of oversaturated. And then it sounds like it just didn't feel fulfilling anymore either. Well, I mean, at the time, it was it was somewhat forced because KLAC AM five seventy was the flagship station, and it had been for thirty years, maybe even more. ESPN was building across from Staples Center this big thing, so they made a, a run for the Lakers and just outbid them, and it just was a bad business deal for KLAC. So we lost the Lakers. I was offered a job over at ESPN and was debating on going. And then the program director at KFI, which is like the KOA in Denver out there, just this huge talker radio, one of the most listened to news talk stations in the country. The program director, Robin Bertolucci, used to be the program director out in Denver at KOA. And uh-huh. her, hus- her husband is somebody I worked with at the sports station who ran the board after I did and took me into my very first uh, locker room. So in some weird twist, she offered me a job at KFI. And I thought, you know what? I'm tired of chasing 
athletes, I'm going to do it. And I had, I regretted it for the first year because the Lakers went on to win another championship and I did not like what I was doing, but I'm glad I made the change. Interesting. And ESPN, just an extraordinary juggernaut that shows no, still no signs of stopping, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing when I did the Lakers, it was, I just did the Lakers. And when I had time, you know, when they were off, I was off, but at ESPN, it wouldn't have been that deal. They would have put you someplace else. And it just, at the time, didn't feel right. And I was a little burned out on it as much as it's like, you you know, people are like, you left the Lakers? What were you thinking? When you go from having Chick Hearn, Kobe, Shaq, you know, uh, Phil Jackson, Tex Winter, beat writers and everything at the time. And by by the ninth year that I had been doing it, Kobe was still there. Shaq had left. Phil had left. Chick had passed away. It just wasn't the same anymore. Sure. Yeah, that era that that era was done. And and it's sad to say, but it, it becomes a job. Yeah, <laughs> you said one thing, and then and then we can wrap it up, and then we'll pick it up again if you're if you're game. But you mentioned this this uh, Robin Bertolucci's husband took you into your first locker room. Yeah, was, Don Martin. Was that was that an intimidating, exhilarating? Yes. Ex- it, it was. It was intimidating. Not exhilarating. Not exhilarating at all. at all. And who? And which locker room was that? It was the San Antonio Spurs. It was a Nuggets game at uh, McNichols Arena, and it was the San Antonio Spurs. And like I said, when I was getting into sports radio, it coincides when Lisa Olson was going through the harassment deal with the New, a- New England Patriots. Right. So, and it was a big thing about women going into locker rooms. Right. And a lot of them felt, you know, like in tennis, that they should go get showered and then come out and meet the press. But normal sports writers, like, no, you know, this is what we do. Right. If they want to be. If they want to cover it, then they need to go in there as well. Right. I didn't want to go in there, but it was I, that's, I was hired to do that. And so he took me in there, and I just remember because they were walking around naked, and I'm not that tall, so you're kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right there, <laughs> you're right there. And obviously, because these are ba- these are ball players, they're tall, they're tall. Yeah. And obviously, when all of a sudden some. 20 year old girl is in your locker room you know some of them don't care but some of them are gonna go out of their way to make you feel uncomfortable nobody did anything that crossed a line with me right luckily right but it was really uncomfortable and i just and, and to hear don tell the story now don is now the program director of klac out in los angeles but he uh, he always tells people the story about how i you know would hold the microphone up but look down to the floor <laughs> But, you know, I mean, I cut for years, went into the Lakers locker room, which they're a little, I think, because they're such a uh, popular team and always had tons of media in their locker room. A lot of like Shaq and Kobe would go get showered and dressed and then come stand out in front of their locker room. Some players, you know, would sit there and walk around. But it was the visiting teams that they didn't care. They were like always nude and walking around. So but they- you just... You they wouldn't, even, they wouldn't even. They wouldn't even put it on a towel, knowing that. No, 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 no. A lot of them wouldn't. Like I said, I think the Lakers were the most respectful in that way. Right. Most visiting teams, no, and I think they even liked making you feel uncomfortable. Sure. But I didn't. You know, after you've been doing it for so many, you don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> it wasn't bothering me at all. And then that was a regular part of your. Of your yeah. beat that you you did that. Oh yeah, yeah. With yeah. the with the broadcast, you know, you we had a because the they were you know world champions had won three in a row, so we had a two hour pregame show 
um, that I had to fill and book. And so you'd get access prior to the game, which they were normally all in their uniforms. So that wasn't an issue. And then uh, right after the game, 20 minutes after the game, you were allowed in the locker room and you needed to get sound. Some of them would be sitting there with their feet in ice and you know, like I said, Kobe always went and got dressed and Shaq for the most part. They might come out in a towel, grab their stuff and go get dressed someplace else. Right. But some of them would just do it right there and just, <laughs> with all this media. Just butt naked. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh. It's, it's impressive that you can give an interview completely naked. I don't think they cared, yeah. you know, after a while. I mean, some of them would have a towel on. and But part of it is they're just they're just doing their normal routine and all of a sudden – they're surrounded by media and right. microphones. They didn't get a chance to, to change. Right. Did you have other female colleagues and oh, coworkers? Yeah. Absolutely. There, were, there yeah. was, there was a lot. There was at that, and this is just fast forwarding from when I first started that there were, there were some, but not a lot female reporters. And then by the time I got with the Lakers, there was Elisa Guerrero, Susie, Susie Schuster. Um, there's so many I'm going to forget, but yeah, there was a bunch of them. So it became more normalized. And they weren't, you know, they were no wallflowers. They weren't like threatened by it. And they were really good too. Well, they, they knew really they, had, good at- they had to get the interview, right? So they have to, they have to compete. Yeah. Right. And I would say a lot of them ended up marrying athletes. Oh, <laughs> well, maybe when you have that point of view, literally, uh, you go, yeah, this is, uh, this is good. I never did. I never did. You didn't marry an athlete. No. Yeah. No. Did you wind up dating athletes? No. I honest to God didn't Stayed want out to of cross it. that yeah. line. I yeah. really wanted to be professional. And not that I'm not judging that. You know, you meet somebody and if, if there's chemistry and stuff. I mean, I was hit on. Yeah, I would imagine. But um it didn't appeal to me at the time. Again, a nonlinear and I'm not surprised because the two of <laughs> you put the two of us together. That's that's what's gonna happen. <laughs> But great exactly. stuff, and thank you, thank you so much for taking the time and, uh, yeah, and sharing. Yeah, it's awesome. I think it is. And uh, no, it was fun just having somebody that was a witness to a lot of the things you did, and then to be able to reminisce with you is really nice. Oh, we can reminisce till the cows come home, and those cows never do come home. They won't. They will They'll never, never come. come. Home. Where are those freaking cows? They're not coming home. I'm telling you. I know you can wait all day. Not coming home. No. Okay. Well, I love you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Like I said. And that does it for another episode of No Bed of Roses. We hope you enjoyed hanging out with us. And we hope that you'll come back and visit again soon. No Bed of Roses is available wherever you find fine podcasts. Stay safe and we'll see you again soon. Bye.